did not lie when we were singing that song. We have come with open hearts. That applies to me too, of course. As we think about the, uh, the function of, of course, Bible study. We had Bible class just, uh, you know, four, 30 minutes ago. Have a sermon today, and you know we think about the times that we come together to study. I hope that we are coming with open hearts. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. The idea of having an open heart and open mind, as we are continuing in our series on living biblically, uh, we're going to talk today about thinking biblically. Uh, the idea of not just what we think. We're, we're really going to break this down into two parts: what we think, that is, what we believe. What do we occupy our thoughts with? What do we spend our time thinking about? But also how we think, the process of thinking and the process of interpreting new information. Living biblically begins with thinking biblically. As we think, so we are. The, the process of living, of being alive, and really I think one of the things that separates us from other forms of life is our ability to bring in new information, to recontextualize it, to allow it to change what we do in the future. Uh, the idea of running on instinct, you know, animals, they have instinctual behaviors, uh, patterns of behavior. And when they're confronted with just totally revolutionary new ideas, it, it sort of breaks their brains a bit. And sometimes we're like that. But we have the ability, hopefully we have the ability, to take in new information, to adjust the way we think about reality, and to formulate new plans, new courses of action. As we think about this idea, Mark 7, 18 through 23, he said to them, then are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declares all foods clean. And he said, from what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, uh, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come out from within, and they defile a person. There's an interesting interplay. We're, we're going to see this briefly, and, and we'll talk about it briefly, and then we'll see it as we go through. Between the concept of the heart and the mind in the Bible, uh, the way that, of course, the ancient world thought about the heart and the mind, the, the seed of emotion, the seed of the soul, and the thought processes. And the, the Bible does not always use these ideas interchangeably, right? The, the, the seed of, of rational thought and the seed of emotional experience. But, of course, we understand, and I think as, as Jesus is making this point here, from who we are internally, the, the, the nature of our being comes how we live. The things that we do, these come from how we think, how we feel, how we've internalized and processed reality. And it is that, the things that come out of us, these, of course, the list of evil things here, uh, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, etc., but also could be what? Could be love and kindness, and joy. We can think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Those are things that come from within, hopefully, if we're thinking about the right kinds of things. Romans 2, 13 through 16. It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of law, the law is written on their hearts. They have inside of them this sense of morality. Well, their conscience also bears witness. And their, this is what I want to note out of this text. Their conflicting thoughts 
accuse, or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. They're conflicting thoughts. What does that mean? The idea here, they know right and wrong. They have some idea of the law, of what is good and what is evil. But some part of them wants to do good, and some part of them wants to do bad. The conflicting thoughts inside of us. We all think, I I should say that, hopefully we're striving to not be this way, We all have conflicting thoughts, contradictory thoughts, things that we want, things that we believe, things that we think, that if you put them all together, they don't make sense. We all have these conflicting thoughts, and it's interesting how he says this, how can their thoughts accuse or even excuse them? When in their mind, they're thinking, I want to do good, I want to do right, I want to do what's what's I know to be true and good, it excuses them on the day of judgment. You thought good things, you did good things. Their conflicting thoughts could accuse them. I wanted to do right. I knew what was right. I knew what I should do. And then I didn't do that. There was a conflict between what was in the mind and what came out. And that, in that case, what? Accuses them. You knew it was right. You did the wrong thing anyway. Your thoughts accusing or excusing you. This is going to apply to us, isn't it, as well? The things that in our inner minds... Hopefully we know what is good and right. If it's not, then we need to correct that. But then we know what is good and right, and that should hopefully translate to how we live. Your thoughts are, in some ways, the truest expression of your inner being. This this idea of inner being, that's in 2 Corinthians 4 and Ephesians 3. We're not going to read those. No one else has access to them. You're thinking right now, Chris, you're such an idiot. Well, I don't know that. I don't know you're thinking that. Maybe you're you're falling asleep and you're not thinking about anything right now. Well, that's that's I guess that's something that happens. If we have excellent self-control, you can think whatever you want without reprisal. Now, it's where the self-control comes in, right? Because a lot of times, if we think a lot of negative thoughts, guess what's going to come out? It's going to come out in our behavior. That's why I say, if you have excellent self-control, you can think whatever you want. I don't have any idea what's going on in your mind. That is, in many respects, your truest self. The self that exists independent of the observation and actions of others. And yet, what I say here, if you have excellent self-control, we know what happens. The things that we think eventually comes out. Comes out in the way that we behave. That's what Jesus was saying, right? It's what comes out of a person that defiles him. Thus, thinking biblically is one of the most important components of living biblically. How and what we think leads to how we live. It is the thing that happens naturally. That's why self-control is such a hard thing to have. What is self-control? In some ways, you could define self-control as the ability to think one thing and do something else. Hard to do. Hard to have. These two parts, how and what, we got to separate these. What do we think? That is, what do we hold to be true? How do we spend our mental energy? That's important. We're going to talk about that. But also, how we think, the processes by which we interpret reality the ways that we interpret new information. How do we think about things? And so we'll think about those two. Number one, what do we think about often? And these are some questions for you to think about. What do you think about often? What do you hold to be true? What is the content of your thoughts on an average day or an average hour or an average minute? Matthew 6, 19, verse 20, uh, 6, verse 19 through 23. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. I want you to note here the interplay again. Before we read this, I should say this. The, the contrast and the, the sort of the contrast and the complementary nature of the heart and the mind. 
The heart, the seat of emotion, the seat of the desire, the mind where we expend our mental energy. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting the way he reverses this, right? The things that we care about, the things that we desire, the things that we value, that's where our heart will be. That is, that's what we'll think about. That's what we'll be focused on. That's what we'll be expending our mental energy on. Here he's using the word heart more in the way of mind, isn't he? So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is, oh, I missed a verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What does he say here? The things that the idea of the eye being the lamp, things are going in. What I'm taking in from around me will affect what I do, how I think about the world. And in specifically the treasure here, I look and I see the things that I desire. The things that I desire will end up directing what? How I live. What I think about. Philippians 4, 8, 9. We've read this a lot recently. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just or pure or lovely or commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We could say it in the language of Matthew 6. These things should be your treasure. Things that are true and just and pure and lovely. That should be what you care about the most. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Again, we see the, the connection between what we think about and how we live. Practice these things. Don't just think about them, but live them out. Do things in your life that be betray this kind of thought process. And this is just a true statement. If you spend any amount of time with somebody, any reasonable amount of time with somebody, it will become obvious what they think about because that's what they do, right? That's what they talk about. That's what they direct their energy toward. It becomes fairly obvious pretty quickly unless somebody just has a supernatural level of self-control. It becomes pretty obvious what kinds of things people care about in the way that they live. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. This is, of course, Joshua is about to take over this leadership role. He's going to lead the people into the land of Canaan. He's going to be this great leader. Hooray for Joshua. But there's a warning here. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all of, uh, according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from the right hand or the left. That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now, how do those connect? The idea of murmuring, or the idea of, I don't know, you see the, the idea of somebody meditating, you have this sort of, this idea of meditating, which we'll read in just a minute as well, the original word had this idea of murmuring to it. That as you were thinking about it, you were sort of muttering it under your breath. And that's how we memorize things, right? Maybe not you. Uh, I memorize things by saying them over and over and over and over and over again. How many songs do you know? You didn't intentionally set out to learn a song. You just have sung it a thousand times and now you know it, Right? That's what he's saying here. Do not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Meditation is not something many in our culture do. This idea of meditating, of, of we could say mindfulness, that we, we're just going to sit down and we're going to spend a time consciously thinking about one thing for a long period of time. A lot of us don't do that maybe, but it is something that the Bible talks about fairly often. 
the idea of meditating on God's law, God's word, that we are spending intentional, directed, focused thought for a prolonged period of time on God's word. Psalm 1 says it this way, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sitters, sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Notice what is said to Joshua and what the psalmist says here. If you meditate and do these things, then you will have success. Here the psalmist says what? The person who meditates on the law of God is like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, all that he does he prospers, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The tree that yields its fruit. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit that comes from what tree? The tree of God's Word, of His Spirit, of meditating and thinking about spiritual things. And so the first part of this, absolutely, we're thinking about thinking biblically. What do you think about? How often do you intentionally devote your thoughts to true spiritual things, the things of God's word? And if the answer is never, guess what's going to happen? That's not going to come out in your life. If you never are intentionally thinking about spiritual things, you're not going to live spiritual things. You're not going to do spiritual things. But secondly, maybe more importantly, we must consider how we think, the way that we process information and the world. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy, there's a contrast here. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Number one, if you want to think biblically, you've got to put aside jealousy and bitter ambition, selfish ambition. Thinking biblically requires not putting yourself first. This is the wisdom that, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What is it? What you think becomes what you do. So if you're thinking uh, selfishly and it's all about me, guess what happens? Disorder in every vile practice. It comes out. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and I want to note two things here. Open to reason. Is that something somebody could say about you? Man, that guy, he's really open to reason. Wouldn't that be, I don't know, people might think weird about it. That would be such a great compliment, wouldn't it? to be known as somebody who's open to reason. Why? Because you're demonstrating the wisdom from above. Spiritual wisdom. If you are open to reason, if you are not driven in your thoughts by selfishness or by emotion, I feel a certain way, therefore it must be true. That's not the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Here's the second thing. Impartial and sincere. Is that how you think? Think about things impartially and sincerely. Again, the contrast is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. When we are the first part of our lives, when we're the most important thing, we're not going to be impartial. 
You're thinking about how things always affect you. It's all about how it affects me, right? The impartial and sincere person is one who has put away selfish ambition and can think about things reasonably and can evaluate new information, not according to how it makes me feel, not according to how it affects my life, not according to what it does for me, but according to what? Is it true? Is it right? We can go back to Philippians 4.8. Is it worthy of praise? Is it lovely? as we evaluate new things in our lives. In a harvest of righteousness, again, we see the, so what about this? In Joshua, it was, if you meditate on God's law, you will prosper. In Psalms, it was, if you meditate on God's law, you'll be like that tree planted by the water. Here, a harvest of righteousness, the fruit that will come from this way of being is righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. Because we're not just making everything about us. We're processing new information according to what's true and good and right. If things are merciful, if things can be used for peace. Acts 26, the verse that was read for us. And why I picked this verse, I had a lot of verses I could have picked. I want to emphasize Agrippa here. Paul making his defense toward Agrippa. Festus, of course, he doesn't get it. Paul, you're, you're crazy. But Paul's really speaking to Agrippa here. I know you believe the prophets. I know you do. And so all of this information he's been giving him about Christ and about what's happened and about the things that have gone on in his life and the prophecies and all, all this information regarding the truth of Jesus the Messiah, as he's saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. And you can kind of see what's going on here. Festus and Agrippa, there's probably a few other attendants that are sort of sitting around with Paul and Paul's talking about this and Festus can't take it anymore. Paul, you're crazy. Stop saying this crazy stuff. You're out of your mind. And Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. I'm not crazy. I know what I'm saying. I am speaking true and rational words. Things that are information and what he talks about here, right? I'm persuaded that these things, that none of these things has escaped his notice. Agrippa, you've seen what's happened. You've seen the facts. You know what's gone on. If we have this set of information, and we use logic and apply logic to it, it's going to lead us to certain conclusions. That's the case that Paul's making. There was this guy, Jesus. He died. They claimed he rose again. These things happened as a result of that. There's been all this miraculous things that have gone on. The church has exploded. Agrippa, you've, you've heard about all this. Think about it rationally, Agrippa. What's true? What, what must be the case? The king knows about these things. I speak to him boldly. I'm persuaded that none of this has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a, corda, in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, a demonstration of unclear thinking. In such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? What does the time frame have to do with anything? The facts are what they are. The logic is what it is. It's either true or it isn't. And that's Paul's point. Agrippa is more concerned with holding on to his other way of thinking. I can't change so quickly. The sign of a mind that is open to reason, open to truth, is a mind that is willing to change when presented with new information. That's maybe the hardest part 
about being or becoming a Christian. Whenever we evangelize, isn't that what we're asking people to do? To change their minds based on new information? That's the heart of evangelism. To present the gospel message and ask somebody, you used to think one way, now think a different way. That doesn't ever stop as a Christian. Because we're continually learning from God's word. We're continually learning new things about God's truth. And we always have to be willing to change our position to fit with God's truth. That's what it means to think biblically. To shape our mindset into what God has said to be true and what we can know to be true about these things. Paul, of course, given a bunch of evidence. And I want to I just offer this invitation, not the final invitation, but an invitation. If you're not sure about the truth of the gospel, you're not sure about the truth of these things, come and talk to me. There's a whole thing, host of things we can talk about. Stuff that I would love to use to help you understand. So I just want to offer that. I want to skip to Proverbs 15, verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. What's the point here? Thinking biblically means that we will not get stuck in a rut of thoughts and never be willing to reconsider our views. And I said this last week. Living biblically begins with self-examination. Why? Because we all need correction, don't we? We all need reproof. We all need new information. To learn from God's will on a continual basis is to invite this kind of wisdom and intelligence to readjust and reevaluate the way that we are processing the world. The human mind is a complicated thing prone to all kinds of errors and manipulation. You can think about, uh, we're not going to go into it, but the idea of the, all these logical fallacies and the way that people think. We, we think some things are true and they're not true and we misapply information. And Oh man, one of the big things about the internet is the idea of misinformation, right? And so there's a balance. There's a hard balance to strike here. On the one hand, we must be open to reason and truth. We must be open to correction and rebuke. We must be open ultimately to the possibility that we might be wrong. On the other, we mustn't be naive. Prone to accept whatever anyone says and thus be led astray. Said in one place, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Right? You're a ship on the water. You're just prone to the waves and the wind, whatever is going to happen, whatever anybody says. There's a balance to be struck here between being open to truth, but not naive. Not, uh, as the proverb writer would say it, not simple, right? Not unwise in how we approach reality. And so I want to clo close with some questions as we think about our thoughts. Some questions that I hope will help you direct the way that you think in a way that is biblical. Number one, what do you spend most of your time, free time thinking? I have free time in here. When you're at your job, hopefully you're thinking about your job, right? If you want to perform well at your job, obviously you're thinking about your job. When you're driving, maybe you have some free time to think, but you should have some of your thoughts directed on the road, right? We understand that. But there's a lot of time in your life that you're, you're not, there's no external force that's forcing you to think one thing or another. 
a lot of time in our life that our, our mind is up to us to decide how are we going to think, that time, what do you think about? Undirected by the concerns of external forces, how often do you think about spiritual things in those cases? How often do you intentionally choose to think about things of God? That's just a question, right? Times in our lives where our thoughts are forced by external circumstance, we understand that. But in those other times, are we choosing to think about God? That's the idea of meditating. Number two, when you receive new information, what do you do with it? There's kind of a couple ways you can go with this, right? You accept it uncritically, and if you're the kind of person that's a little bit gullible, I'm going to recommend just turn off the TV, close your social media accounts, right? Everybody's pressing in on us, believe this thing, believe this thing, believe this thing, over and over and over and over and over. So we have to be, you know, critical a little bit about some stuff. And as we consider the sources of our information that we receive in our lives, the second question would be, what is your criteria for trustworthiness? Something that somebody says to you, oh, I can believe that because this person is trustworthy. Why? What makes them trustworthy? What makes a source worthy of, a, of, of being viewed as an authority? And again, if you've never thought about that, it's time to think about that. What in your as you receive information, you think about where you got that information, what is your criteria for authority? That this thing is trustworthy, this thing I can listen to, this thing I can accept. If you've never thought about it, formulate some criteria, some conscious criteria. If you don't think about it, guess what? You're going to be like that person that's just tossed to and fro by the various winds and waves of doctrine. Be more intentional about thinking about why you accept or disbelieve things. Number three. What is your visceral, gut-level, first-level response when you receive information that contradicts your current beliefs? Just think about it for a minute. You read something on the internet. This is what most of the internet drives traffic. Most of the things that drive traffic, right, is things that induce anger or sell, uh, things that induce some sort of outrage. You hear something that you think is not true that contradicts your beliefs. What's your first-level reaction? Could be anger. Could be curiosity could be dismissal, any number of things. And I want you to remember, this is what you're doing when you evangelize. If you cannot process new information in a healthy, positive way, why should you expect other people to? Because isn't that what we're asking people to do when we evangelize? Here's some new information that contradicts your worldview. Please be reasonable about it. Please think about it in a, in a reasonable, rational way. And if you're not willing to do that, why should anybody else? You can apply the golden rule here, right? Whatever you wish others to do to you, you do to them in the way that we process information. What does it take for you to adjust your worldview? If you have not changed your mind about something in a while, I'm going to suggest that that's a problem because God's word continually demands that we'd be willing to adjust our worldview, right? We're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. We all have misunderstandings as we discover new things in God's word. If you haven't changed your mind about something in a while, it's either one of two things. Either you have not devoted yourself to study of God's word in a really intentional, serious way, or you're like that person who's not open to reason, not open to the truth. 
If you spend any amount of time, serious time devoted to God's word, you will discover things that you need to change. I should put it myself too. I will discover things that I need to change. What does it take for you to adjust that? Finally, as we conclude, how often do you consider God's perspective on things? Thinking about thinking biblically, I want to process the world in a biblical way. That means that I need to, whenever I encounter a situation, the classic question is, what would Jesus do? But I would suggest an alternative question. What would Jesus think about this thing? Whatever it is. Could be something you read on the news. Could be a piece of news from your family. Could be a new life situation. Could be something you read on the internet. I don't know. I don't, all these ways that we have of receiving information. When you receive new information, do you ask, what would God think about this? Not what would God think about this. What does God think about this? What's his perspective on these things? And if we get in the habit of doing that, as we've said, over time, what's going to happen? If we get in the habit of always considering God's perspective, then over time in our lives, we will respond the way that God does, the way that God would want us to. Because as we think, so we are. And so we need to think more about spiritual things.